Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast from Monday, July 19th. We begin with a timely topic, quite literally. Should we or shouldn't we keep flipping the time in our province from standard time to daylight saving time? We get the thoughts of a psychology professor and hear what he believes would be the most beneficial for all of us. Next, we look at the growing issue of online child exploitation in Canada. We'll hear some details of a new federal government public awareness campaign that's aimed at combating this very serious topic. Then, it's our weekly conversation with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Dr. J brings us details on exciting new research that shows a steady decline in dementia cases. We find out why. And finally, in this week's installment of Motivational Monday, we meet Alvin Law. We hear Alvin's incredible personal story of being a thalidomide baby and how he now uses his life experience to help others as a motivational speaker. Right now, we have to change our clocks twice a year as we switch back and forth between standard and daylight time. Surveys show people hate the change and don't want to do it anymore. Well, the province has listened and will ask whether or not we want to stay on daylight saving time year-round in a referendum during this October's civic election. Michael Antle is a professor from the Department of uh, Psychology at the University of Calgary and says it's a very bad idea. Good morning to you, Professor. Good morning. Uh, Thank you for taking the time with us. Now, of course, we're going to have that opportunity to voice our opinions. You've come out and said it's a bad idea. Why would it be a bad idea to have one locked-in time year-round? So uh, I think it's a good idea to stop changing the clocks. There's lots of evidence that when we spring forward uh, in in March that um, there's some adverse health consequences with that, increased rates of accidents and heart attacks. So getting rid of the the biannual time change is actually a good idea. It's where we lock the clock that I have an issue with, yeah. Okay, so your thoughts. You say better idea is to stick to standard time, not daylight saving. Yeah. So uh, with with later sunsets like we're going to have with a permanent daylight time, we know that people get less sleep. Uh, our sleep is really tied to when the sun goes down, and uh, but we all have to get up at the same time um, based on our, our clock to go to work, to go to school. Um, so it doesn't change the start time for our work, but uh, it changes when we go to sleep. We'll get less sleep, and that we know leads to more disease. Plus, the other problem is um, in the winter, we haven't actually experienced daylight time in the winter. Uh, our dawn here in Calgary will be really late. It's going to be about 9.30 in December. And we're going to be forcing ourselves to get up an hour earlier to go to work and go to school. And those tired people behind the wheel of a car, when it's already dark and icy out there, is just a recipe for disaster. So it's interesting. To me, I always thought it was due to geography that Saskatchewan did their thing because it wasn't too much of a swing either way compared to their neighbors to the east and west. But you did some research and you're saying that they've had it right for a long time. Uh, well, sort of. <laughs> so their their dawn is actually at, uh, at, at the equinox would be at 7 a.m. And, and their sunset be at 7 p.m., which is actually an hour off. So they're actually more following um, mountain daylight time than actually central time. But they don't change. Um, so that's a no. good thing. They miss that a little bit. So is it the changing or is it the time that we stick with, whether it be standard or daylight saving? So it's it's a little bit of both. So the changing is bad. Um, our bodies take about a month probably to get used to it, and that's not anything our body actually is doing. It's it's the the dawn getting early enough to match what our body wants to do, anyways. But if we were to switch to the permanent daylight time, we're going to be um, 
jet lagged for about four months. So uh, that's why I'm saying the permanent daylight time gives us four, four and a half months of really bad uh, jet lag in the winter that's going to lead to less sleep, more tired commuters, um, as opposed to having um, um, about a month. Like April's, it's hard to wake up in April. Uh, and we know there's a little bit of an increased accident disease then, but I'd take a bad month over bad four months. So that permanent daylight, you know, and the not-so-great consequences, was that part of that uh, University of Pittsburgh study that really dug into this? Uh, um, which one's that? Well, I've got a, a University of Pittsburgh study says there are some bad consequences when we switch the clocks uh, permanently. And one of the right. things, yeah, was. It could be. Yeah, there was some large study, large-scale studies where they looked at people who um, had later later uh, sunsets versus earlier sunsets, and they found you know increased rates of diabetes in the late sunsets, the less sleep, the increased rates of heart disease, increased rates of obesity. Um, and I think it was about $84 uh, a year per capita in increased health costs. Ooh. It's a really interesting topic and obviously one we're going to be dealing with as we have it in our referendum coming in this fall's civic election. And then the question will be, which time do we stick with if we just stick to one? So thank you for furthering the conversation with us, Dr. Antle. Appreciate your time. Thank you for having me. Michael Antle is professor of Department of Psychology at the University of Calgary. You know, we already have some texts in about it, and I kind of feel the same way. We've got three people who, who just say basically, who cares? It's two days yeah. a year that you switch it. You know, when he's saying we have four months of terrible consequences, I have never personally experienced no. that. Sure, maybe a day, maybe a couple of days takes you to sort of feel like you've, you've caught up. But I don't, I don't really get the the four months worth, or or people who say that it really, really affects them. Yeah. Well, this texter said, yeah, "I care." The spring forward time change absolutely kills me for several weeks. Several weeks, this texture says, before I start feeling somewhat normal. I believe the practice originated in the late 1800s in Germany and adopted here during World War II, so it's outdated and irrelevant in modern life. And I'm personally tired of it. But yeah, to that point, several weeks. Something I said to you off mic was. Have you ever like slept an extra hour or lost an extra? You just couldn't sleep. Yeah, that's technically isn't that the same effect? I would think. Um, I can understand the one argument I can see is in the doldrums of winter when it's already cold and, and as yep. the professor alluded to, icy on roads, and we're not seeing the sunrise till about nine thirty in the morning. That can be a little daunting because so if you think about it, if depending on your work hours and if you don't like driving at night or you don't too often or in the dark. Um, you can almost escape driving in the dark altogether unless mm-hmm. we were to force it to be 9.30, depending on your work hours. Tina says, who cares? Why are we wasting money on this completely useless discussion? It is it's so funny. It's something that just, it comes up every so often and, and certainly obviously enough that we, the the provincial government anyway, feels that we need to have a question and a referendum on it. It's oh, And there you have it. Well, I guess it'd be we've, the squeaky wheel. We've been squeaking about this long enough. Carmen said... I hate in the winter going to work in the dark and coming home in the dark. Yeah. I get that. I think that's why a lot of the experts say it's important when you're when we're in that time frame to at least get out for lunch and go for a little bit of a walk so you're getting some sunshine, right? Did you read this one? If it's kept on standard winter time, no. then in summer it'll start getting light at about three thirty AM. Imagine trying to sleep in that. If it kept on summertime all year, then in winter the sun wouldn't rise till nine thirty. Much more street and house lighting required further away from the equator, the more useful the time change is. For those who care about it, it's only the first two or three days of the change, and then they forget about it. So yeah. I say keep it as it is. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Does it affect that many people? Of all, of That's a small segment of the population, but one person only saying that they, you know, it concerns them, they don't like it. And there, yeah, there you have it. Sunrise right now is 544. 
So I, I think that might be a little bit far-fetched saying 3.30 because sunrise right now, again, being 5.44, an hour earlier would be 4.44. And obviously in the shift, you and I know, it's generally after 4.30 in the in, in yep. the morning where you start to see the sun uh, uh, poke, but really not until, again, 5.44 officially is sunrise. More and more texts coming in, so we'd love to hear from you. Does it, does it affect you, the time change? Do you care? Do you want it to stay steady at one thing? And which one thing? Oh, so many questions. Uh, let's see, Tina just said, or no, somebody else said, uh, used to love it when I was young at the bars. He got an extra hour. But then there was somebody else who said... Uh, these people are a bunch of babies. It's all in their heads. No logic. Just keep it. It's nice for people who work outside. Child exploitation, particularly online, is a growing problem in Canada. The government has come up with a new campaign to make Canadians more aware of its devastating consequences. We're joined now by the Senior Policy Advisor, Public Safety Canada, Mathilde Briere-Odette. Good morning to you, Mathilde. Good morning. Thank you for taking the time with us. Uh, let's talk about this campaign. Uh, what's it look like and, and how does it work? Um, so basically what we're doing, we've developed a website with a lot of resources for parents, youth, um, caregivers, teachers who work with youth. And we're also currently doing an advertising campaign. So we have um, videos running on social media platforms. We have electronic banners. They're going to be on um, search sites, news websites, and content sharing app for the following month. Okay, so let's get into the why. Why are we bringing this up more so now? Have incidents of online child exploitation gone up during the pandemic, for example, or the number of cases reported? Have they gone up? Absolutely. So just to, to give you an overview of the situation in Canada. So um, cybertip.ca, the national tip line that received tips of child sexual exploitation, I received over 4.3 million tips between 2014 and 2020. And in April 2020 alone, they noticed an 88% augmentation compared to the previous monthly average wow. of the 10 previous months. And so the pandemic has really pushed everybody online, as we know, including children. And right now it's the start of summer vacation, so children are often back online. And so that's why we're doing the campaign at this time, to raise awareness of the dangers when children are online. Matilda, I'm wondering, you, you, you focus on the, the fact that it is about awareness, and I know that this is a devastating issue, uh, devastating to its victims, and that would obviously in, include family. Can an awareness campaign change that, or is this uh, just uh, the beginning of something? Um, obviously, the campaign won't solve everything, but the more Canadians are aware of the dangers of how online child sexual is happening, um, the better they'll be able to protect themselves. Um, because anytime there's an internet connection and the child is able to interact with strangers online, there is a risk of online child sexual exploitation. Can we talk about what the, the definition of that is? What defines child sexual exploitation online? I mean, my first thought goes to the worst of the worst. Are, is there, are there different sort of levels of it? I mean, they're all bad, obviously, we know that, but what does it <laughs> constitute? Yeah, so there's a variety of different kinds of crimes that fall under that category, as you mentioned. So there's the sharing of child sexual abuse material, um, which is basically sharing images. Um, there's also sexting and grooming, which is um, uh, sexting and sextortion, pardon me. So it's when um, youth will, we call it sex, so send intimate images of themselves, and then someone will use those images to put pressure on the youth to either produce more images or, or to pay. Mm -hmm. There's also grooming, which is when a predator will in turn contact with a child online and then groom them to either produce self-abuse um, content or 
and get them to meet in person. And there's also a new trend that we're calling cappers, um, which is which is actually how the offenders call themselves online. But they will enter in contact with the youth, encourage them to go on the video chat um, platform, and then they'll get the youth to get naked in front, do any sexual acts, and then what the, the predator will do is they'll take screenshots or videotape the, the chat, and they'll use that either to simply share with other predators online or to, to extort more videos or money from the children. So those are all the types of um, crimes that are captured under child sexual exploitation. Just before we let you go, obviously this is a government program and the parents have responsibilities to monitor what their kids are doing, but are the social media companies doing anything? Absolutely. So we work with social media companies on a variety of, of um, uh, projects. And then, as I mentioned earlier, we have the website, childsexualcanada.ca slash childsexualexploitation, where we have all the resources. Oh, someone's cutting. We hear you. We got you. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, you know what? We'll direct people. Again, you mentioned it. Cybertip.ca is a great website. Publicsafety.gc.ca. And all parents should be going on these sites and learning more about this to try and keep our kids safe. Thank you so much for your time this morning, Mathilde. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Mathilde Briere-Odette, Senior Policy Advisor with Public Safety Canada. Yes, it's our weekly uh, catch-up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And we do have a, a topic every week. We uh, look at what matters most to Calgarians uh, and their health. We'll get to that in a second, because that last song you heard was from Dr. Ted Jablonski, musician. What was the name of that track, uh, Dr. J? Fix Me. That Boy, <laughs> your musical uh, breath is crazy, because you've got some sounding almost classical and, and angelic, and mm-hmm. then you go rock. I just I, yeah, I love I, your style. Well, thanks, thanks so much. I like to mix it up. Certainly, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, we we got to delve more. We got to have a full uh, show of Dr. Ted Jablonski, musician. <laughs> uh, but uh, we have you here for a reason on Mondays, and that is to talk about what is newest, latest, and matters most to Calgarians. This is really crazy to me. Over the past thirty years, the incidence of dementia has declined an average of thirteen percent every decade in people of European ancestry living in the U.S. or Europe. And that's according to a new uh, Harvard, Harvard University study. So I wanted to ask you your opinion on this because I think that every single family has somebody who's uh, been touched by dementia. Yeah, so my, my thoughts on this, uh, if you see dementia, there's sort of almost two groups. One is a, somebody who gets it very, very young, and it's a very unrelenting, very progressive, almost like a brain cancer kind of diagnosis. And then there's your very elderly. As you get older and older, you get a little bit forgetful and then a little more demented. Uh, that's the grouping that we're seeing really declining. And I, my feeling is it's all about cardiovascular risk factors. Hmm. Why so? Okay. What's the tie? So, so the, what we, I guess, don't uh, appreciate is that a lot of dementia is related to vascular effect, meaning little tiny strokes. Blood vessels aren't in perfect shape, so the brain doesn't get circulation. In the last 30 years or so, we've now identified that hypertension really has a huge impact on blood vessels, so we're treating much, much more aggressively than prior to that. We're realizing how important cholesterol is, and we're treating much more aggressively. We're realizing how important activity is on a regular basis. All these things that help blood vessels do better. Rates of smoking are going down. So 
if you look at all that, our blood vessels are in much, much better shape over the last few decades than they were prior to that. So hence why our dementia rates are going down, because our vascular, the, the blood vessels are better, so the brain's getting better circulation, so it's not likely to get that minor, minor or microscopic damage of the strokes that it was in the past. So whereas we don't have a magic bullet, we certainly don't have a cure for dementia, this really rings and underscores the importance of taking care of our overall health, and we can make that difference. Oh, absolutely. And I I think we're going to see, if we can continue on this trend, we're going to see uh, heart disease continue to go down. We're going to see strokes continue to go down, and dementia will follow suit because it's sort of a manifestation of both those two. So your overall advice, Dr. J.? look after your cardiovascular risk factors, right? So some of this is lifestyle-driven, and some of this is uh, you may need to see a medical professional. You may have to look at some of these parameters and treat them aggressively if you have them. Wow, incredible stuff, and uh, onward and upward when it comes to treating this, again, a widespread condition. We appreciate your time. Okay, you betcha. This is Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. If you grew up in Calgary and you're of a certain age, there's a good chance you know the name Alvin Law. He was more than likely a featured speaker at your school, including at my school growing up. Alvin Law's story of overcoming adversity has led him to a career of public speaking to thousands and thousands of school kids and beyond that, across many platforms from businesses to leaders of major corporations. For his story and some tips to help find your own spark on this Motivational Monday, we're joined now by motivational speaker Alvin Law. Good morning, Alvin. Good morning, Andy. How are you, brother? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. And you know what? I didn't tell Sue this, but you're on holiday. But you, <laughs> uh, you're kindly joining us for our special weekly segment. I appreciate it. So before we get to your tips, tell us about your story, which has led you to where you are and who you are today. So I was born without arms, and the key is the time frame, 1960, which if you can do the numbers, I'm mm. oldish. <laughs> there was a, a drug called thalidomide that deformed thousands of babies all over the planet, around 125 Canadians, until it was banned in 1963 for use on pregnant women. So I grew up uh, without arms, but I think the bigger part of my story was I was also homeless at five days of age, and I don't mean that to sound melodramatic, but the reality is my birth family were simply not prepared and couldn't cope with raising a child without arms. It was also more about 1960 and the way that we saw people like me, people with severe so-called handicaps. So I was put into a foster home, but that foster home had a very different look on life. Uh, I was raised in a small town in Saskatchewan called Yorkton, and there is nothing that I cannot do independently today, and I really credit it with the beginning of my life and, of course, the life that I've led. Okay, Alvin, first of all, you're on holidays and you're this perky at this time of the morning, so props for that for sure, which tells me a lot about you and, and the positivity that you must have each and every day. When did you realize, at what age do you think did you realize that you were different? Well, you know, it's an interesting question because I think I understood very fundamentally that I didn't have any arms, but I think where that changed was... And I'm going to say it, it's corny, but it was small-town Canada. You know, I was just one of the kids. I I grew up in a neighborhood full of children. My parents uh, were older, which is interesting. Mom and Dad were 55 and 53 when they took me in. They certainly didn't plan on keeping me. But I think it was that sense of community. And, of course, I struggled a little bit with identity. Adolescence was tricky. 
who, who doesn't have a tricky yeah. adolescence. But I think more than anything, I found a sense of purpose in my music. And uh, I can just tell you this. I, I learned to play music. Uh, I even play the drums to this day. I play the piano. But the first instrument that I ever played was the trombone. And a band director in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, Blaine McClary, mounted it on the side of a chair with metal rods and clamps they made in the, in the metal shop in Yorkton Regional High School. And I played it with my foot. And it was those people that I became friends with, my fellow musicians. I have a saying, musicians don't care what you look like. The question is, can you play? Mm. And my answer became, yes, I can. Awesome. Well, it's better than I did. I uh, took two years at Ben and, and <laughs> work out for me. Uh, let's, uh, you, you've got some great tips for us because your story is extraordinary. And I don't want to diminish it in any way, Alvin, but we all have our challenges. That doesn't mean we can't face them. It doesn't mean that we can't move on and have a successful life like, like you've shown us. So you, you say that gratitude is something that people should really uh, not ignore. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to use a really blatant example on a beautiful Monday morning. <laughs> not. We look outside, and it's the same here. I'm in rural Saskatchewan, actually, on our, at our cottage, and um, it's smoky here, too. So the first instinct is to go, oh, God, it's smoky. Oh, this is gross. Oh, I can't breathe. Those are all medical facts. But let's put in perspective, what if you lived up north where the fires are? That's what I do. And it's not, it's not a tactic for speaking. It's a tactic for life, right? And having no arms made that a fundamental sense of, of my life, too. Was My parents were really good at this, saying, you should just be grateful that you can use your feet. Mm. So I know that can really be annoying, especially at 6.15 on a Monday morning. But it's really all about that, getting into that habit of every day looking at your life going, I'm going to say it, things could be worse. And, you know, you really do. You have to work on that to get to that point, but it is certainly doable. I love your, your second tip as well, and that is don't see yourself as a victim. You particularly, you saw yourself as a victor, so not living with anger or that sort of thing. And that really can apply to so many people, can't it? Well, sure. And you can imagine during COVID, a lot of people have asked the question, especially young people, you know, students, why me? Guess what? There isn't an answer. There will never be an answer. Promise me. The more you think about the why me question, all the more you get frustrated. So the reality is we have to, okay, here's another really corny one. Sorry, I have to be this way because I'm trying to be polite. It is what it is. I was born without arms. It is what it is. My birth mother was given a medication. My arms didn't grow. It is what it is. They decided not to take me home. Those were the early big factors in my life. But even in 2020, my career really and this career of a lot of speakers really went on hold because all the events were stopped, right? So I haven't been at a live event speaking since March of 2020. It is what it is. It is what it is. And this is what you do for a living. To have that attitude is outstanding. Let's uh, talk about the third point, which is uh, be a giver, not a taker. And that's something that, again, I'm not sure what uh, year you started your career talking to schools and I came across you. You were giving your time to to these schools. So this is something you've been doing for, for quite some time, I would think. Yeah, 1981 was a big harbor year for me as well because it was the International Year of Disabled Persons. So there were opportunities to be invited to speak at engagements. I was actually, believe it or not, kids, I used to be on the radio. My first job was at an FM station in Regina called FM 92, the rock of Regina. And I was a, I was a vinyl classic rock DJ. But I kept getting invited to events, first in Regina, then around Saskatchewan, and then across Canada. And eventually I would turn that into a career. I got out of radio, not because I didn't want to do it, but here's a bit of a very philosophical thing for you folks on the air this morning. I felt myself in a little tiny booth, and I felt like I was restricting the life that I needed to have. 
And that was be the example, get out and tell my story. This was not about ego. I want to be very clear on that. It was about like a mission. I really wanted to change the way we see people with disabilities. And I think I've had a little bit of a contribution to that. So, you know, being a giver means giving, whether it's volunteering your time or giving of your resources. But always more than anything, it's the mindset. You know, I know there's people in the community that need to take our services and take our charity. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you have a mindset of being a, a giver, volunteer, go out and help at an animal shelter or the, the homeless shelters or the, or the food bank. All those places need help. It's the mindset that I'm talking about. And before we let you go, you've got a final tip for us, and that's about community. And this is really kind of a, something that we learned over the, the pandemic, isn't it? Even more so. Well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something that, again, goes into my... Uh, my speaking category, and that is I'm a diversity and inclusion expert, so to speak. And I've been saying for years that every human being on planet Earth has one thing in common, and that is planet Earth. You know, this is, this is our home. This is where we live. So whether you're from India, Australia, China, America, or Calgary, we are all in this together. And COVID proved that, didn't it? It proved that nobody is immune, whether you're rich or not. We all had to work together. And I don't know if you remember this, but when it first broke and nobody was in a good mood, Everybody was so cordial. Everyone was so polite. You know, here we are wearing masks, hating life, but we're being kind to each other. We're giving space. We're opening doors. We're doing nice things, delivering food, going to visit people that were, you know, sheltered. We had that going in spades. But, of course, it kind of wore off a little bit because it got old. The thing is, it's proof. We can all work together to make for a better community. And if Calgary isn't proof of that, I don't know what is. Some great points and, uh, you know, some uh, great tips on a Motivational Monday. Thank you so much for your time, Alvin. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And by the way, you guys have a great week, all right? Try not to breathe in that smoke. (laughs) And remember, life is good. You too, Alvin. Thank you. Good stuff. Alvin Law, motivational speaker online at alvinlaw.com. Social media at Toes, T-O-E-S, Law. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.